The busiest seaplane base in the world is Lake Hood in Anchorage. And not long ago, two float planes collided over Lake Hood. Both landed safely, but that isn't always the case. In a minute, I'll tell you more about it. Hi, and welcome to our little gathering. I'm Jack Frost, and I've lived and traveled throughout Alaska for darn near 50 years. We call this weekly potlatch, From My Back Porch, I Can See Alaska. This is where we talk about the characters, the history, the oddities, news, and events that make up the Great Land. We also have a small collection of Christmas stories you'll want to hear, as well as a growing library of Robert's service poetry. So, the fire is stoked, the cabin is warm, the coffee is hot. Grab a chair, kick off your mucklucks, and wiggle your toes in my bearskin rug. And let's talk Alaska. When I was a young man in my early 20s, I thought I wanted to be a pilot. So I signed up for flight lessons. It was pretty exciting right from the get-go after taking off. The instructor gave me some pretty rudimentary instructions on handling the plane in the air. Then he took his hands off the dual controls and said, She's all yours. I guess I was pretty much like any other novice, and I flew around a little. That was the first lesson. I remember going back for a second lesson. I don't think I ever got much farther than two lessons before I quit. The reason I quit is I realized I was not even a good driver in my car. I would sometimes lose focus behind the wheel. Driving could become automatic, and I would start thinking of other things, like how the sales meeting went that morning or what my wife told me to bring home for dinner, and I would suddenly realize I didn't even know where I was going or where I was supposed to be. Driving a car still gets to be routine, and my mind often wanders. That's a bad habit in a car. Or on a boat as I discovered years later during a midnight storm. I was a partner in a 32-foot cabin cruiser, the Big Bite, which we kept in Whittier, the saltwater marina closest to Anchorage. I'd take friends and family out fishing, or simply cruising and sightseeing every weekend I could get free. One weekend I had two friends on an overnight trip. We left late on a Friday night and pulled into Bear Cove on Night Island just as the daylight was fading, meaning... It was getting dark, and the long Alaskan summer days were retreating into fall. The entrance to Bear Cove was a narrow bottleneck that had to be carefully navigated to avoid running aground on a large, shallow rock. It was dark as we searched our way into the cove. I'd been there many times before, so we slid through the entrance with not much trouble and set the anchor in a sheltered spot. Or so I thought. We had dinner. We opened the spirits locker for an evening of storytelling and imbibing on some fine refreshments. We turned in before midnight, and I checked the anchor. All tight and secure. I found my bunk and was asleep as soon as my head hit the pillow. A deep sleep was interrupted a couple of hours later by my guests, pounding on my stateroom door. I staggered out of the captain's quarters to discover tree branches pressed against the salon windows in the pitch blackness. We weren't supposed to be in the trees. A big willowaw wind, a strong wind swirling in every direction, had torn us off the anchor 
and pinned the boat up against the rocky shore. Fortunately, it was a cliff into the water, and the tree branches were holding us a few feet away from banging against the rock cliff. Needless to say, there was a mini panic ensuing. I had to work from the open bridge, because the only thing that could give me a true bearing was the silhouette of the tops of the trees against the night sky. And of course, I couldn't see the tops of the trees from the enclosed cabin. My GPS and the cabin controls doesn't work instantly to show you which direction you were headed. One glance at the GPS showed me pointing and turning every which way. I wanted to rely on it for direction, and if I wanted to do that, I would have to travel 10 or 20 yards, completely blind with big rocks in every direction, before the satellite would show the actual direction we were headed. If I started out in the wrong direction in what was now pitch blackness, we would surely have hit the rocks that lay close on three sides of us. I had to be right the first time. I got the engine started, and I was lucky enough to find my way back out to the deeper water where I held the boat steady against the winds with the twin engines. One of my crew had never been on salt water before, but he knew we had escaped a dangerous situation, and he came up on the bridge later from where I was controlling the big bite, and he wanted to express his relief that we were still afloat. By that time, the Willowaz had mostly abated, and the sky had become light enough that I could see a little bit. And I was now taking the boat around the pothole cove in larger, more generous circles. I was a bit more relaxed then, confident that I had everything under control. As my fears and nerves calmed a bit, I became loquacious, perhaps more than usual. In fact, I think I was nervously chattering like a parrot. And true to my nature, my mind wandered as I chattered, reviewing and dissecting my every thought and action during the crisis for the benefit of my lubber companion. Of course, by then, I was controlling the big bite out of habit. That's when I lost my bearings as to where in my slow circling I was. And as I jerked my consciousness back to reality, there in front of me was a shape, oh my God, I had lost track of where I was, and I was about to hit a big, semi-submerged rock. Reflexively, I spun the wheel to starboard, and I hit the rock with a glancing blow, fortunately skidding off the smooth side of the rock and away toward the deeper water. But not soon enough. The port side propeller hit the rock and was severely damaged. To my great relief, I hadn't cracked the hull, and the collision didn't pull the port drive shaft out of the boat either of which would found us scrambling around in the dark trying to launch the dinghy, while the big bite sank swiftly in the darkness. The odds are we might have lost somebody in the water, or to hypothermia. We stayed afloat, luckily. We did, however, lose the use of the port engine, as the damaged prop caused the boat to shake violently. We had to shut that engine down and head back to port on one lung. All of this, damaging the boat, endangering my friends, and scaring myself to death, all of it caused by my inability to keep primary focus on the task at hand. What a bonehead. Which brings me to airplanes and paying attention as a pilot. Piloting a plane seems to attract some folks who suffer from the same affliction I have. Here are a few th sobering thoughts. Since 2015, 
in Ketchikan alone, population 8,336, 21 people have been killed by plane crashes, most of them on sightseeing flights. Most all of them were from poor pilot decisions, some mid-air collisions. I can only remember one that was an equipment failure. In the past 10 years, the flight seeing business in Alaska has grown faster, but not safer. Every year, Alaska has more deaths in small commercial aircraft than any place in the rest of the United States. And when you stop to think about it, we've been hard hit as a society from small plane deaths. Former Senator Ted Stevens was involved in two major plane crashes in his career. He survived the first one, which occurred in Anchorage in 1978 in a snowstorm. However, his wife Anne and the pilot both died in that one. In 2010, Ted died with four others when the plane crashed during a flight to a fishing lodge in the beautiful Iliamna country. Others, state lawmaker Gary Knopp and seven others, died in a mid-air collision over Soldotna, Alaska. Very recently, a pilot, a guide, and two lodge guests were killed near Anchorage in a helicopter crash returning from a skiing expedition. One of the guests is said to have been the wealthiest man in Czechoslovakia. And then this story very recently appeared in Suzanne Downing's internet newspaper, Must Read Alaska. Here's the quote. The Cessna A185F Skywagon, a float plane, left Lake Hood in Anchorage at 6.50 p.m. for a 30-minute flight. It was struck by the Cessna 182P Skylane, a wheeled plane, which is registered to an ANIAC address. Apparently, both planes were able to land without anything other than black tire scuffs and minor damage on the wing of the Skywagon. Lake Hood, which is where this incident occurred, is the busiest seaplane base in the world, with nearly 200 operations every day. So, those pilots and their passengers came as close to death in a terrifying flaming crash as it's possible to get. And they were the lucky ones. Why so many crashes, even involving professional pilots? Well, a few reasons. First, Alaska is more than twice the size of Texas, with wild, mountainous country, only three highways and weather you can't rely on. The airplane is the major way Alaskans travel around our state, so they have more chances to have accidents. And if you're traveling to Bush, Alaska, it's likely to be the only way. Consequently, there are more planes and pilots in Alaska than anywhere else. More pilots, more flights, more chance for accident. But there's more. Many of the pilots in Alaska are what is referred to as flatlanders, meaning folks who are not well acquainted with mountain flying, which can be very different from what they're used to. It is easy for them to make mistakes, merely because the plane may act much differently than they expect, possibly leading to a fatal mistake. Then there are the ever-revered bush pilots. Bush pilots have plenty of experience in Alaska, and occasionally a bit of, um, uh, can we say, arrogance, which will lead one to push conditions to the limits. And over time, they may push a little too far, once or twice, and get themselves into a situation that even they 
even with their superior experience, can't find a way out. So here's a final word. I think I made the right decision for me to hire planes and pilots when I need to take to the sky in Alaska. Your mileage may vary. After all, many small commercial operators have had their problems. You need to recognize that whomever has the yoke of a small plane, you are in some small peril. So leave your pilot alone. Don't get involved in conversation or anything that might distract him or her from the task at hand. And if you are a pilot, well, focus. Thanks for being here, and I hope you're with us next time. I'm Jack Frost, and from my back porch, I can see Alaska. Alaska.